This is The Guardian. Today, as The Guardian launches its new Europe edition, the story of two places in Germany, two elections and two very different results. 
today we visit two places that have made two very different choices to see what they tell us about Germany today and for Europe's biggest economy, what comes next. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, a tale of two German towns. The week before I was in Sonneberg at that festival, I took the train from Berlin to the other side of the country, to Stuttgart, near the German border with France, and from there drove west towards the Black Forest. This is the home of Germany's famous automotive industry, Porsche and Mercedes-Benz and BMW. And a lot of the villages have these timber-framed houses that have been here for centuries. They look like something out of a fairy tale. I was there with Viola and we were heading for a small town called Ostelsheim. So you were saying that this like small German town that we're driving in, actually this is where most Germans live. They don't actually live in cities. Yeah, there are only a few cities in Germany and only three, I think, that have above a million people living there. Wow. So most people in Germany live like in the countryside in small towns like this. They all look the same. <laughs> so I think, I think we're coming up now to Ostelsheim. Uh, which is very small, actually. I think it's only, I think, 2,700 people live here, so it's not a big town by any means. We were there to meet a guy called Rian Elshebel, who moved to this area in 2015 from a long way away. He grew up in the southern Syrian city of Sweda. Hello. How are um, you doing? Hi. I'm Michael. Good to meet you. How are you doing? We met him at his office in the centre of the city. He's tall, age 29, and when we met... I felt like he was looking us up and down, like he's someone who's used to observing closely. And we sat down for an interview that ends up being a mix of the German that he's learned in the past few years and the Arabic that he grew up speaking. He started by telling us how he got here. Also, wer Syrien kennt, weiß, dass man Politik in Syria, he said, the government controlled everything. Still, he always found politics fascinating. He'd read about how democracy operates in other places and fantasize that one day it would come to Syria. And when he was in his last year of high school, that fantasy looked like it might become real. This was 2011, the year the Syrian revolution started in a city not far from his. Yeah, his hometown is now the capital of the uh, revolution in yeah. Syria. In 2014, Rian got terrible news. Like thousands of young men across Syria, he was being drafted into the Syrian army. He would have to fight for the same dictator he had spent three years hoping would fall. And again, like thousands of Syrians, Rian decided he needed to run. He made it first to Lebanon and then to Turkey and then to a rickety, overcrowded boat. He laughed bitterly, telling us the boat was designed for 15 people. 
the smuggler put 50 on board. And they made a terrifying four-hour journey to Greece. Women crying, children screaming the whole way. This was 2015, what's called in Europe the migrant crisis, the most people on the move across the continent since the Second World War. And when many European states panicked and closed their borders to these people, Germany's Angela Merkel did something extraordinary, something Germans are still making sense of a decade later. When so viele Menschen so viel auf sich nehmen, um ihren Traum von einem Leben in Deutschland zu erfüllen, she allowed them in. She said, wir schaffen das. We're rich, we're strong, we can manage. And in a country that's traditionally had a delicate and sometimes difficult relationship with migrants, this was a watershed moment. And Rian was among them. He remembers being moved around from centre to centre, and eventually getting on a bus, being driven towards the Black Forest. He thought these villages were pretty, but so far away from anything. Even going to the supermarket felt like a journey. And once he'd settled in, he remembered thinking to himself, I've landed in what he called the Arsch der Welt. In English, the arse end of the world. Hello. Hello. Viola. Clemens Kurtz. Thank you so much for making the time to speak with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Fine. So, you're coming from... All the way from the UK for this, yeah. All the way. Yeah. And, um, well, um, what do you know about me? The following year, as part of a scheme to get refugees into work, Rian got a temporary job as a clerk in the town hall of a village near Ostelsheim called Altingstedt. And it was there one day that he met the mayor of the town, a guy called Clemens Goetz. Hello. Hello. Uh, un, un <laughs> Wasser, it's a, it's perfect, right? Yeah, perfect. Do you remember when you met uh, Rian El Shebel? The first time you met him? Yeah, actually I do. Because I met him in the first floor of the town hall. And I saw a young man, um, obviously, uh, let's say an Arab. Mm. You know, you can see it from the haircut. And uh, so I said, uh, hello, uh, can I help you? Um, because there's no reason for somebody like him to be there. Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. his German at the time was, was not very good back then. It was extremely poor. Yeah. Yeah. Rian found that he really liked working in local government. And he told Clemens he wanted to make a career of it. In Germany, that means doing a three-year course. But when Rian applied, the school initially refused to take him. They said his German was nowhere near good enough. So Clemens made a few phone calls. That was the point when I took the phone and I said, look, who is paying the study of this young man? The town. Thank you, I said. (laughs) And your only task is to teach him. Mm. So I think our conversation is over. What was it that you saw in him that encouraged you to take the risk of saying, let's teach him, let's enroll him in this course and see how he goes? I saw in him 
But he also gently tried to steer Rian in a more traditional direction. I asked him, why don't you learn electrician? People need electricians and um, you will also need it in, in your home country if you can return one day. Mm. You will get a rich man. Rian said those early years in Germany were really tough. There was the language, the new culture, but what he felt most was the burden of the label, refugee. He felt like in Germany, that came with a script, that refugees only did certain jobs, mostly manual work, like being an electrician. In the Anfangszeit, wo man praktisch nur als rein Geflüchteter begriffen wird, also praktisch jemand, And that's something migrants to Germany have complained about for a long time. People have come here from all over the world for generations, but right up until the end of the last century, becoming a German citizen was largely restricted to people with German parents. You could be born in Germany, live your whole life there, but if your parents were Turkish or Tunisian or from somewhere outside of the EU, you weren't automatically entitled to be German. Those laws have been relaxed over the past 20 years, but are still a lot more restrictive than they are in the UK or the US. And though more than one in four people living in Germany now have a migrant background, switch on the TV or look at the German cabinet, and you wouldn't know it. The question of who is a German is still really sensitive. Das war nicht einfach, aber hat aber enorm Spaß gemacht. Ich habe es nie als Strafe begriffen. This was the minefield that Rian had landed in, the one that he was determined to find his own way through. He knuckled down on learning German and. Though the others in his course had so many advantages over him, he quickly realized he had advantages too. He'd already been through so much in his life, stuff his classmates couldn't even begin to imagine. It meant that he worked harder. And when the course was over, Rian's results were incredible. Uh, when he had finished his uh, study as one of the best of the country, because he's one of the five best percent, he had better results than any of his native um, German uh, predecessors. Mm. In spite of these achievements, and though his German was by now excellent, by last year, Rian was hitting the limits of a system that's not really designed for someone who only moves to Germany at age 21. He hadn't graduated from a German high school or university. He would only ever be qualified for junior level jobs in government. I saw that he was intelligent, eager to do something, and I saw the limits he had. And so, together, they hatched a plan. The neighbouring town of Ostelsheim had elections the next year, and the one senior job you didn't need qualifications for was the mayor. And, and, the, and the only way um, to do it is getting mayor. Did you have any uh, reservations? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. I had uh, big doubts. And it was actually him asking me, do you think I can run for, for mayor in, uh, in Osselsheim? And my first answer was, yes, I do. Yes, you can. This was a pretty unlikely idea. No Syrian refugee anywhere in Germany has been elected to run a town. Just 1.6% of German mayors have any kind of migrant background. And 
Since those extraordinary days when Germans turned out at railway stations to welcome Syrians and refugees from all over the world, another sentiment had grown, a backlash. What do you think the attitude of people in this area is to migrants and to refugees? Of course, it's controversial. And um, from the very beginning, I personally was very critical against this naive taking in the welcome culture. Mm. I said, oh, it's much more difficult. I would say people here have one very simple criterion. Do they work? Do they contribute or not? So people also ask me, how should somebody living here uh, for five, six years, how should he really understand us? And um, I think this is a very reasonable question. Campaigns for mayor in Ostelsheim have traditionally been pretty sleepy affairs. But for Rian, this was the kind of campaign he had grown up reading about in Syria. He knocked on the doors of 70% of the houses. He shook the hands of more than 1,000 people. He drank beer with them. He ate German food. He showed that he was smart and fresh and listening. Elections in small towns like this are not won on policies, he said. He wanted to bring a supermarket and a pharmacy to the town. His opponent was largely promising similar stuff. It would come down to who people trusted. And there was hate. One person in the street told him to go back to where he came from. There were online comments saying he wanted to impose Sharia law. Rian's not even Muslim. A lot of it would come down to a public presentation by the candidates at the town hall. And for days before, Rian and his team practiced this speech. They shared footage of it. Rian's making his speech to a handful of people. He looks nervous. He sounds it. Clement said he told Rian, the speech stunk. It was stiff, he was muttering. Why was his hand always in his pocket? On the night of the presentation, cameras weren't allowed in. It was an overflow crowd, standing room only. And Clement said, Rian got up there and he absolutely nailed it. After you were public presentation. How long do they applause? After Rian was finished, they went on and on and on. So, after this, I was very optimistic. Mm. On election night, when the results came in, Rian won outright. 2015 ist er aus Syrien geflohen. Nun wird er Bürgermeister im baden-württembergischen Ostelsheim. He was the first Syrian refugee elected anywhere in Germany. And his win brought to this town of a few thousand people global attention. But tonight, a glimpse of light, where even as anti-immigrant sentiment is rising, a young Syrian refugee has just become a city's mayor. In the moment, Rian said he felt nothing. He was completely numb. 
the gravity of what had just happened took weeks to sink in. He was sworn in in July, and I asked him what he thought it all meant for Germany. Es ist, ich weiß jetzt nicht, ob man es so formulieren darf, dass ein Tabu gebrochen ist, aber es gab auch jetzt kein Tabu. Also, weiß ich nicht, His answer was pretty realistic. He couldn't say the people of Ostelsheim had no prejudice towards him. But the election had forced them to really ask themselves, should a German town be run by a guy who until a few years ago was a foreigner? In a left-wing city like Berlin, he said, people might not have considered that a question even worth asking. But here they really thought about it, they debated it. And they decided in the end, why not? Eine Premiere. Also etwas, was vorher nicht wirklich denkbar war. It was inconceivable, and now it had happened, he said. And that must mean something. A milestone on a long road to Germany recognizing itself for what it now is, a country of migrants. Coming up, Sonneberg where another election led to a very different milestone. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV, read a book, meet up with a friend, maybe a little nap. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. A few hours before we were at the community festival, the place where we started this episode, where I couldn't get a normal beer, we were still on the road, driving into Sonneberg. The district is about five hours from Berlin, in Thuringen, one of Germany's less well-off states. 
we were a long way from the wealthy villages around Stuttgart, where Rian was elected. I was there with Viola. Um, yeah, so Thüringen is one of the five eastern states, the former eastern states. There is still a difference between like the former east states and the former west states, but it's not huge. But if you look at these statistics, um, it's always like the five former eastern states that have the high IFD votes. An election here in June, about a month after Rian's, had delivered another first for Germany. This one, the first time the far-right alternative for Germany had won control of an area. The winning candidate, Robert Sesselman, turned down our request for an interview. So instead, we were looking to meet the people who had voted for him, which was harder than we thought. So I posted in the local Facebook group and asked if someone would talk to me about voting for the AFD. One guy just said, I'll just give you a good advice, don't come to Sonneberg. And I was like, why? And he was like, it's just a good advice. And then he blocked me after, but he wasn't very friendly looking. Sesselman's win was described in the German media as a political earthquake. The AFD has been around for about 10 years, but people thought or hoped their support was flagging. German political parties have all agreed on a strict policy of never entering into a coalition with them. The AFD has won parliamentary seats, but they never actually won control of an area until a few months ago. And I find it, as a German, I find it extremely shocking. And I think, I think for the last few years, I told myself and a lot of people told themselves that this is just a small amount of people in Germany and that there will be always maybe 10% or like a, you know, a small percentage voting for them, but it would never come to a point again where they would actually you know, take over part of the government. Mm-hmm. And now the polls in Thüringen, which is where we are now, are like very, very high. The highest they've ever been. I think right now the polls are like 28%. 28% of people in this state, that's nearly one in three people. That's incredible. Yeah. There's the sign for Sonneberg now. Yeah, we've just entered Sonneberg. It's nice, I guess. Right? Yeah, yeah. Sonneberg, once we got there, was really quiet, like almost deserted. Like there's no one here. It's, it's like <laughs> so it's quiet. Abandoned. It's so weird. Where is everybody? People from all over the world risk their lives to get to Germany. But in the states of what used to be the East, the population hasn't been this low in more than a century. In global terms, even compared to other parts of Western Europe, these areas are doing okay, but... If you look at a map of the poorest parts of Germany, the places where wages are lowest, the most underrepresented in business, the law, politics, and by the way, the places where the fewest migrants live, you'll be looking at a map of the former East Germany. We had arranged to meet a woman called Katie Fiedler, who wanted to tell us what it had been like to watch the far right emerge and take control of her hometown. She didn't tell us her house number. She said when we saw the letterbox, we'd know. I think it's here, maybe. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would say the fuck oh. AFD in the letterbox <laughs> is what we're looking for. Yeah. Okay. Um, Katie took us into her garden, introduced us to her two teenage daughters, Ella and Mille. Ella. Ella and Mille. Are you have a beautiful garden. 
Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's for the bees. Yes. yes. For the bees. Mm -hmm. Um, my, my daughter loves bees. Okay. Yeah. Why do you love bees? Um, I think they're cute and I want to. <laughs> so. And she started telling us about the Sonneberg she remembered as a kid when she moved here in 1988. I know Sonneberg, 12 years old teenager and in Judenbach uh, there was this very... When the wall came down, this state, Tirungia, was one of five East German states to be reintegrated with the West. Huge amounts of money, trillions of dollars, went into rebuilding East Germany. But the end of the socialist system also unleashed these social forces that had been pent up for decades. Katie told us that in those years after the wall fell, the big fault line was punks against neo-Nazis. In the 99, we have a problem with national socialists and there gaps a youth club with punks and there gaps a youth club with Nazis and um, everywhere in trouble with them. And uh, They would fight each other, the, the punks and the Nazis? And on, on parties, then after them, too much beer and then... Eventually, the police cracked down and people grew up and the punks and the Nazis just became less prominent. It wasn't until 2015, with the arrival of thousands of migrants like Rian, that Katie noticed a more organized far right started to emerge in Sonneberg. It started holding big rallies, and people on the left also turned up to protest against them, and Katie would often be there. Viola was helping to translate. When she went to a demonstration with her daughter, and that was kind of the, the time when she first noticed it really political because the AfD were quite present, I guess, and strong. There were ganz viel AfD, the Höcke auf dem Rathausplatz and so weiter, and there haben die. But what really accelerated support for the party in Sonneberg, she told us was the COVID-19 pandemic. People were scared. They were frustrated. Some believed it was all a conspiracy. And they revived a tradition, one with a lot of meaning in this part of the country. In 1989, in the eastern city of Leipzig, people demanding reforms of the socialist system started marching through the city every Monday. The demonstration began in the narrow cobble streets in the centre of the city. The noise drew others in across the city to join the procession. There seems to have been a fundamental change of attitude as people refused to be intimidated by the communist leadership. And these protests caught on. They spread across East Germany. They helped to bring down the whole system. People had this slogan, Wir sind das Volk. We are the people. During the pandemic, people started marching on Mondays again. And across Germany, the far right saw its opportunity to tap into people's frustrations. And they knew just the slogan to adopt. Katie started seeing people she knew taking part in these protests. People whose motivation might have been anger at lockdowns. And she'd ask them, 
don't you realise some of these flags you're standing next to are neo-Nazi symbols? And I say, hey, you're standing with, with flags with neo-Nazi symbols. And I think, oh my God. <laughs> she called the last few years a seamless transition from one crisis to the next. First was the arrival of refugees, then the coronavirus, then the war in Ukraine and more refugees, and now a terrible recession. People in the East had always felt a little more alienated or left behind. But these crises had pushed them right out of their comfort zones, she said. Es war so um 2015, es waren viele, um, es, es kam, die Ausländerpopulation hat zugenommen in Sonneberg. This is a familiar story. The established political parties looking like they don't have the answers, like they aren't even listening. Opening the door for populist solutions, like getting out of the EU or electing a reality TV businessman. In Germany, maybe because of its history or because its economy was booming for so long or its welfare state hadn't been cut to the bone, this trend looks like it was just held at bay a little longer. And then this year, the dam broke and it all flooded through. Support for the AFD nationally has more than doubled, according to polls. Even in parts of the west of the country, they're surging. In Sonneberg, district elections were due in June, and Katie started hearing, even from people in her own family, that they were up for giving the AFD a chance. And the people that you know, your family members, or the people who even used to be punks, when they say they wanted to vote AFD, what was motivating them? What do you think convinced them to give this party a chance? I think they listened to thing that makes my life better but the AFD cannot make their life better with this slogan this slogans is shit (laughs) yeah and but they say their hope the AFD first emerged a decade ago talking not about migration but the euro The EU had just bailed out Greece, and the first AFD members saw this as Germany paying for the corruption and mismanagement of countries it had nothing to do with. But this was not a winning message, and when asylum seeker boats started arriving in Europe in vast numbers in 2015, the AFD pivoted hard. They became the voice of Germans who wanted to close the border, stop spending money on refugees, and their support started growing. By 2017, They were the largest opposition party in the German parliament. And one of the disturbing things about them is that while extreme right-wing parties in places like Italy or France have been desperately trying to detoxify their image, at least making a show of expelling their most extreme members, the AFD have not really made that effort. The party's leader in Turungia, where Sonneberg is, is a guy called Bjorn Hecker. And it's difficult to overstate how extreme he is. In 2017, he criticised the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin, calling it a monument of shame in the heart of the capital. Just last week, 
he was ordered to stand trial for making a speech using a phrase that's banned in Germany because it was a slogan of a Nazi paramilitary group. Last year, a court classified the entire AFD as a suspected threat to German democracy, allowing security agencies to put the party under surveillance. We're talking about the second most popular party in Germany, according to polls. One that's currently the favourite in four states with elections next year. Since the win in the district of Sonneberg, the AFD has won control of a town and are currently favourites to take over their first city in an election next month. Observers say that part of the group's success is that when voters go to speak to AFD campaigners, it's not the most extreme messages that they're hearing. One morning on our trip, in a town just next to Sonneberg, we ran into an AFD campaign store. I'm Michael, by the way. What was your yeah, yeah. Also Michael. Oh. <laughs> Our party stands uh, for this, that we uh, support at first our people, which are weak. Older people, younger people. School is also uh, very expensive, yes. And so we want to support our people at first. And when we have enough money, then we can help others, yes. And that's the message that you're telling to people when they walk through yes. here today. And how do they respond to that message? I mean, how, what's their reaction when, when you tell them that? This is very different. A lot of people support us and uh, a lot of people, um, they are afraid because they think we are extreme uh, like uh, Nazis war. Yes, but this is not true. So we explain this, yes. I explain always my story that I'm uh, Hungarian and also German and that my children are also Russian. Oh, I mean on the... Um... But migration is always there. We were looking at campaign material on his table. One pamphlet was protesting laws that would make it easier to become a German citizen. And it highlighted the presence of migrants from just a handful of countries. Two million uh, uh, immigrants... Afghans, Syrish people, North African, that they get quickly a German passport. Mm. Yes. Interesting that it highlights just those three parts of the world, though. It doesn't talk about Russians or Ukrainians or Hungarians. So, yes. <clears throat> uh, it's very easy. We have some, a lot of migrants to Germany which come from uh, Vietnam, yes, uh, Chinese, and we have no problems with them, yes. No. So we want decide. We want to um, make difference between the groups which have no problems and these groups which make problems. Yes. To kind of differentiate between people from some countries but not others. Yes. Do you think all of the people from these countries make problems? Not all, but more as, as uh, from other countries, yes. Statistics that this is actually true. I, I believe that, but I did not prove. Uh, I did not look for that. Yes. So. I guess one of the reasons why some people might be afraid of the AFD, might think it's extreme, is because the German intelligence or German courts have classified the party or, or factions of the party as right-wing extremists. So, I mean, do you think that they're wrong? Yes, they are wrong. I think uh, the sense is only to support the government. 
Do you ever worry that there are parts of the AFD, some members, some elements within the AFD that might be extreme, that might be no. very right-wing? No. No. Nobody? Not nobody. Every party you have uh, some extreme persons, yes? And it's not easy to recognize. And uh, classic question is always Björn Höcke. Yes, I know, I know him. I talked with him. And I don't think that he's extreme. So if someone from the UK or from another country is looking at German politics and they're worried by the rise of the AFD, what message would you give to them? Uh, they have no reason to be uh, afraid for us, yes. Back at the community festival, it was towards the end of the night when we struck up a conversation with a guy called Peter. And he told us his vote at the last election had been guided by what he said was a feeling of sorrow. And everyone uh, is in sorrow, I think. And what do you see in your life that makes you feel this way? I am worried about our payment for work. If you work in Germany as a simple worker, the payment for our work is too low by the costs of, of life and we have our social system is I think made at the moment for people who don't want to work anything but everything to live to, to stay at life is paid by taxes from everybody who works in Germany yes that, that's one of the, the fears that I think most people in Germany have so we're in this town, we're in this area, yeah. because in the recent election, the AFD won the yes. control. Yes. What do you think was motivating people to vote in this direction? Um, I think there are people that definitely are in the right wing, but I think there are almost a lot of people are not really extremely right wing. So they just say what's the truth. We have a problem with too many immigration. This is a personal question, so you don't have to answer this, but did you vote that way this time? Yes, I did this time. Yes. As, uh, as, as someone who, who listens to punk rock. So that's, that's a, <laughs> it's a crazy thing. that I, I never thought I will do this any time, but this time I think if it's uh, in a moderate way, in a moderate way, it's okay. But we have to watch that it is... It, um, it doesn't become too extreme. Had you ever voted for the AFD before, before this election? No. Was it difficult to make that decision this time for you? The first time, yes. Or the first times, yes, when I, when I thought about because, um, as I said, I, I'm listening to punk rock, I'm open-minded, I'm in no way in, in any side of right wing. But I want that my, my children can live in peace. They should have no fear of people from other countries that, they, uh, that come here and if they, uh, their behavior is good they all can stay here it's, it's no problem for me it's good but I think if they uh, get criminal uh, they should go back The day of the election in Sonneberg. Katie was at a restaurant with one of her daughters. Ich war unendlich traurig und stinkesauer. 
Ich war sehr, sehr, sehr ärgerlich. We were at a restaurant at the, at the moment and uh, she and my dad uh, were there and um, sometimes looked at the phone to see uh, the, um, the, the, the votings. And when there was, yeah, um, the AfD won, uh, they were both really pissed, I would say, and were like, I can't believe this. The results of the poll and the fact that her town was now the first in the country to be run by the AFD has left her despairing a little at the people around her. <laughs> at first I was pissed and I think all of the Sonneberger are stupid. <laughs> the day after, she went to her office and printed out flowers in different colours. She's put them up on her front fence to, she said, inject a bit of colour into this brown town. She thought of leaving Sonneberg. Her friends from work, who live in another state nearby, said, we have spare apartments, you can go and live there. But she's noticed something else happening in the town, something that's helped to calm her down. Und ähm, man viele Leute äh, getroffen hat wieder von früher, wo man dann gesehen hat, der Background von früher. After the election, she went to another protest, one headlined Sonneberg against the Nazis. And she met a lot of people there. New friends, but also old ones. Veterans of the punk scene in the 90s. And there was a lot of like protest and especially like, yeah, like the left scene came back and they really like did demonstrations and concerts and yeah, all came together and they reconnected again. And so there is like kind of like a, a counter movement now. Es, es gibt nicht nur Idioten, es gibt auch viele, viele nette Menschen, die mit dir jetzt dort stehen und gehen mit dir demonstrieren. Wir haben neue Freunde kennengelernt. There aren't just idiots here, she told us. There's also lots of nice people standing with us and demonstrating with us. And for now, Katie's sticking around. She's fighting. What do you think about the future? Like you've got two young daughters. What do, what do you think about it? <laughs> also for my children, I hope they go their way and make the world better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I say often that they must... Save the world. Save the world. <laughs> because I am too old for this. <laughs> that was Katie Fiedler, who lives in Sonneberg. Thank you so much to her for spending time with us. Thanks also to Rian El Shebel, Clemens Goetz, and everyone who spoke to us in both Ostelsheim and Sonneberg. Special thanks to Viola Funk for her absolutely invaluable help producing and translating and just general guidance on all things Germany. We could not have made this episode without her. As well as to Philip Alterman, Helen Peard and Isabel Hertner from King's College London. Before we go, Rupert Murdoch has officially stepped down as the chair of Fox and News Corp after seven decades running the media and entertainment behemoth. It's been clear for a while that his son, Lachlan, is the successor. And for a sense of what that means for the company and for the world, listen to our episode from May titled The Murdoch's Real-Life Succession Drama. You can find it wherever you're listening to today's episode. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. And we're back Monday. 
This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.